So welcome to another episode of Exploring Art Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I'm your host, Sofia Puyo, and I am very pleased to have Sebastian Hernandez with me today to discuss our podcast where we're going to be talking about Caravaggio's conversion of St. Paul. So I'm going to give a brief introduction of myself. I am a Florida International student going into architecture. Very excited to be talking about this stuff because I feel like it really relates to my degree. And I'm going to let Sebastian uh, give a little bit of insight about himself. Hi, I'm Sebastian Hernandez. I am a computer engineering student at Florida International University. Um, I'm very excited to learn more about Caravaggio and his influence in the art world. And um, yeah. So I think we should just start going back into Italy for a little bit and talk about Caravaggio himself and basically just his early life and his time in Rome and how he was a super big influencer in the art world and what he did, what techniques he used, everything like that. What do you think? Yeah, like in the Renaissance period. Yeah, I think it's really important that we kind of go into that. I think that we should first start talking about Caravaggio himself, who he was as a person, as a painter, um, everything that he went through and how he was able to become so influential in the period that he was born in. So he actually was born in 1571. So that means that he was born almost halfway through the Renaissance period. So he also became like very influential um, in the Renaissance along with other painters and his full name is actually Michelangelo Medici da Caravaggio which I think a lot of people would get him confused with the yeah, normal with, Michelangelo. With other Michelangelo who's known for painting on the Sistine Chapel and for doing a statue of David. Um, the reason we know him as Caravaggio well is one to differentiate him from the other Michelangelo but also the name Caravaggio comes from the city the town rather he was born in Italians they would take um the last name for their last names they take the town name and use it as their surnames like Caravaggio Firenze and other cities like Venezia so that's an interesting fact about that and other cultures like England, they would do their professions, but in Italy, they would do the name of the city they were born in. Yeah. Which I think is really clever. I mean, I, I think it's a great, it's a great way to kind of come upon a name. Um, although his first name was Michelangelo, so they would all, a lot of people probably get, get him confused with the other Michelangelo who was very popular. Um, but I mean, at the same um, time, you know, he was a very- From what I read, um, he was born, like, s about seven years after the other Michelangelo died. So they were, in, they were around the same time period, too, which probably would have added to the confusion. Obviously, yeah, probably, because obviously they were both uh, born in kind of like the Renaissance period, so they were both, like, influential painters. Yeah, at the beginning of the, the Renaissance beginning. period. Exactly. Um, and then he lived in Milan, which I thought was also interesting considering that he was born in Caravaggio. So he obviously transferred to Milan and then he escaped from the plague uh, almost five years later to Caravaggio. So he was born in Caravaggio, went to Milan, escaped the plague, went back. And then he actually apprenticed um, with Simone Petersano in 1584. So that's almost 10 years later. Um, he apprenticed with him for four years 
So Caravaggio, essentially, he was born in Caravaggio in 1571, but then he lived in Milan. So his father had a workshop in Milan. I not I don't remember exactly what his father worked as, but he had a workshop in Milan and would frequent Milan while living in Caravaggio. However, due to the plague in 1576, from what I read, he, he and his family escaped Milan and went and lived permanently in Caravaggio. So yeah, I definitely agree with the fact that it was a lot of back and forth um, in his yeah, earlier years. He had a lot years. of back and forth in his years. Mm-hmm. Um, he then apprenticed with Simone Patersano in 1584, which him at the time was a smaller artist, a smaller painter. Um, and he was with him for four years after his parents died. So thanks to Simone, Simone was kind of the person who kind of like brought him up in the artist and the painting world. After moving to Rome at the age of 21, he definitely struggled financially for a few years, but then he was able to apprentice um, with Giuseppe Cesari, which was a sculptor and also a painter. And then later, thanks to Giuseppe, he was hired by Francesco Cardinal Maria del Monte, which I believe was part of the church. Yeah, cardinals are a position directly underneath the Pope. So he was a very influential member of the church, I believe. From what I read, he was his first patron, his first major patron, who commissioned him to work um, on a few paintings himself. Yeah. So thanks to Francesco, he was actually hired by the Contarelli Chapel to paint two of the largest paintings on the wall. Um, And this was kind of his big moment. This really brought him to fame in Rome. And this was where he really skyrocketed. And I actually believe that the paintings are there today. Mm -hmm. This was around the time when he was actually commissioned to work on the conversion of St. Paul and the crucifixion of St. Peter, which are located in the Church of Santa Maria del Popolo in Rome. I've been to Rome, but I've never, I personally haven't seen the Santa Maria del Popolo. I've never been into there, but I would next time if I would go just to see his paintings. Yeah, I definitely think that after doing not only a podcast, but like doing research on the painters, it gives you kind of like a little bit of insight of um, if you would be interested in going and exploring some of their work or not. And this definitely would be a yes for me also. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that due to his kind of troubled upbringing um, with a lot of traveling back and forth and then having to move because of the plague, um, I don't think that he was a very easygoing person as he actually had a really short temper and he he had a history of bar fights and disputes. Um, And then he eventually murdered a man in 1606. Mm -hmm. And from what I read after he murdered someone, He traveled to the city of Malta in order to be knighted, uh, in order to seek a papal pardon for the city of Rome so he could return to Rome. So that was was basically like an apology. Yeah, a pardon for the murder. Um, But he failed to get the pardon through the night ship. Instead, he had his connections in Rome give him the pardon instead. So he was able to be pardoned and Rome was allowed back in. 
After he got the pardon, thanks to some of his friends, as Sebastian mentioned, um, these associates allowed him to get the pardon. So then he tried to get back to Rome. And on his way back, he was actually arrested. He was left behind by the ship that would have taken him back. And he was not only left as a person, all of his belongings were left. So he potentially had traveled along the coast and then died of an illness from what we know in 1610, very young age of 39, very, very young age. Uh, actually, I think it was theorized that he died of malaria, potentially, because he died alone and feverish somewhere on the coast at the age of 39. Yeah. So I found it really interesting that his paintings often depicted sacred figures and events using life models. So mm. he often used the techniques, the techniques, sorry, the techniques of um, chiaroscuro. Which, oh yeah, which uses a strong contrast of light and dark in order to like embolden the subject. And this technique is commonly seen in other Renaissance paintings, like for example, in the art of Leonardo da Vinci. For example, he used a lot of chiaroscuro as well. Uh, I do believe his usage of live models was deemed controversial by his patrons because he would often take um, common folk to do so. Like not really like any nobility or anything. He would take common people that he saw on the street and use as his models for the paintings themselves. So that was deemed a little controversial by the patrons that commissioned him. Yeah, I can definitely see how that would that would seem a bit off the regular norm. Um, mm. But overall, Caravaggio was a very influential painter in the time of the Renaissance, and we can still some of, see some of his work today. Um, in Rome and in other parts of Italy. Definitely. Such as the conversion of St. Paul. Yes. So I think we should go into talking a little bit more in depth about the conversion of St. Paul and kind of like how Caravaggio plays into that. So basically the conversion of St. Paul, um, it's located in the church of Santa Maria del Popolo in Rome, which is still a church standing still there yeah still there it's still um, there so, you know visited by a lot of people so more on the history of the conversion of saint paul on its subject matter saul was a jewish crusader and at the time judaism was very much against christianity this was around the time where christianity first emerged as the new way with the birth of christ and saul along with a bunch of other Jewish crusaders, would publicly murder members of the, Christi the Christian faith, such as those that are preaching it. So on his way to the city of Damascus, Saul was struck by a thunderbolt and was given a revelation by Jesus himself to rather not to disobey him and to instead follow him in the ways of Christianity. Afterwards, Saul was blinded and was taken by hand to was led by hand to the city of Damascus, where he was then where then he then regained his vision thanks to the actions of a Christian pope, thanks to the revelation that Jesus gave that pope. So in the painting itself, the painting depicts Saint Paul knocked to the ground due to the thunderbolt. 
and receiving his revelation from Jesus. Meanwhile, the horse and the groomer leading the horse are unaware of the revelation that St. Paul is receiving. Um, at the time, there was a different draft of the painting that was rejected, which you could look up. It had less subtlety in its imagery. Uh, it depicted Jesus giving him the revelation and St. Paul like cowering in fear. But that painting was rejected by the patron, and he did ha he then had to redo it to the one we see today. And then after that, basically his reputation fell, like after his death. Um, so he died, and then you know his reputation died along with him. Um, and then he was actually heavily criticized by a lot of art connoisseurs in the 19th, 20th century. So for those of you that don't know, listening to this podcast, what an art connoisseur is, what that kind of um, job depicts, what they do, it's basically just a person um, who is very competent to pass critical judgments in art. So what that means is it's technically like an art expert. So they work. Yeah, a historian. Yeah, basically like a historian, and then they just work based off the style, um, the time of the art, so they observe it, they connect ideas, and they are basically just art historians that help to analyze art more thoroughly, um, as well as not only like style, but technique of artists as well. One such connoisseur is Jacob Burghardt, a Swiss um, art historian born in 1818. He was best known for his study of Renaissance art. So he was known for a book titled The Civilization of the Renaissance in Italy. It, it was a very influential book at a time for the study of the Renaissance. But around that time, Caravaggio didn't really have a good reputation. And Burkhardt criticized one of Caravaggio's paintings, specifically the conversion of St. Paul. He described the composition as coarse when Caravaggio, quote, did not care for expression. And he then pointed out how, quote, the horse nearly fills the whole picture, using it as a subject of criticism, how it avoids the, how it doesn't emphasize the revelation that St. Paul is receiving, how it misses the subject matter. Another art connoisseur that criticized Caravaggio along Jacob Buckhart was Bernard Berenson, and he was actually American. He was an art historian, and he also specializing in the Renaissance. Um, so basically, what he kind of mostly um, specialized in was actually Italian Renaissance art, and he spent most of his life in Italy, where he wrote numerous books on the Renaissance, um, one of them being of the Florentine painters, which would actually was an international success. So he also, not only being an art connoisseur, he also kind of became a famous author for that. Upon his death, you know, in 1959, his art collection and library was actually donated to Harvard University. And I actually think it's very cool how you can still go to Harvard, you know, Harvard University, Harvard University students can actually go and read a lot of his works. Um, yeah, and you like, can even see his like art collection at the center where his um, where his library is saved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's also a I mean a huge advantage. So when criticizing the conversion of Saint Paul, Berenson is actually quoted saying, "Nothing more incongruous than the importance given to horse over rider, 
to dumb beast over saint, surely more picturesque than holy. So we can very, we can agree that that was a very out there statement that he said um, in comparison to Buckhart's analysis of the picture. But like Buck, Buckhart, Berenson focused on the horse and he obviously criticized its emphasis over St. Paul himself. So we can see that they both have kind of similar analysis processes. Yeah, around that time, Caravaggio's reputation was not very prominent. However, on the eve of the 20th century, his reputation was brought back up as more influential art historians analyzed his work and his technique, so to say. One such historian is Whitgower. He was a German architectural historian born in 1901. He studied in Berlin before spending 10 years in Rome working as an assistant at the Biblioteca Hutziaria. He spent some time in London as a university professor before moving to America in 1949. And he published numerous books and studied on Italian art and architecture before dying in 1971 of a heart attack. In Whitcower's analysis, he is, uh, especially on the conversion of St. Paul, he is quoted saying, in his conversion of St. Paul, he rendered vision solely on the, in of the level of inner illumination. Like the counter-reformation religious reformers, Caravaggio pleaded through his pictures for man's direct gnosis of the divine. Like them, he regarded illumination by God as a tangible experience on a purely human level. So unlike the previous art historians we talked about, Bacard and Berenson, Whitcore instead disregarded the horse and focused solely on St. Paul receiving his vision from God. So I think an important question would be, if Whitcore is right, Buckhart and Berenson have completely misinterpreted the work by making too much of the horse. But then if Buckhart and Berenson were right, Whitcore is wrong and the horse cannot be ignored. So how can we actually decide which of these great writers is right? So the way I see it, the way we can decide who is right, because art is subjective. Everyone has their own interpretation of it. Of course, there's no right or wrong. However, in the context of the story of St. Paul, I'd want to say Whitcower is right as... The horse and the groomer leading it in the painting are unaware of St. Paul's revelation of God. I feel like, in a way, the viewer's attention is the same. We, When we're looking at the painting originally, right, we only see the horse. When I first looked at the painting, I didn't even notice St. Paul on the ground at the beginning receiving the revelation. So our eyes are drawn away from St. Paul as he's receiving a message that only he can hear. Only he was able to hear this revelation from Jesus to change his ways. So I feel like that is kind of the point of the painting. I also agree with the Sebastian because I think Whit Cower is actually correct. As when you're receiving a revelation, I think that it's only, you know, it is based just for you. Um, I also agree with the fact that when you just see the painting, every viewer's attention is basically the same, but their perception is going to be different. For me, I saw the horse and the uh kind of like as the big picture of the image first the emphasis and the emphasis yeah so i didn't really see the the groomer you know like on the ground you know like kind of not no, noticing his revelation i kind of just saw the horse as first just because i think it's like the emphasis of the painting 
So I definitely agree that Whitcar was correct. Um, but then again, you know, everybody has their different interpretations. But on this right. case, I think we can both agree that Whitcar, um, Whitcar's analysis was the most correct. Right, because it's doing it's with the subject of the actual story itself. Obviously, the, the horse isn't very important in the story itself. It's Saint Paul that's important. But if, as we can see with the original painting. There was a lot more emphasis on the revelation itself, whereas with the newer one that's actually on the walls of the church in Rome, we see the subtlety of St. Paul receiving his revelation without the horse or the groomer having any awareness of said revelation. So I really think that is just the point of the painting, and that Burkhardt and Berenson just disregarded it, only critiquing it as an art piece and not really the story of St. Paul. Yeah, so they saw it more like as an image and not for its history that he wanted to. They, they didn't critique it based on the subject matter. They critiqued it just as the as an art piece. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to thank you, Sebastian, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And this actually concludes Exploring Art Podcast. Subscribe to our Exploring Art Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening. Please join us soon. And remember to stay curious.